So over the last Christmas season, something that struck me that we do often at Christmas is we sing about Jesus coming as a child. And I started thinking, is that significant? Is that really, like, as we're worshiping God together, why is the significant, uh, significance of Jesus coming as a child something we should be singing about, something we should be worshiping him for? So I started, as I was thinking about it, a verse came to my mind, and it's probably the verse, if I asked you to think of a Bible verse, the first one that would come to many of your minds. It's probably the most recognizable verse in the Bible. John 3.16. If you think about John 3.16, it's, it's a statement of value, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So he's definitely, when Jesus is t- speaking in John 3, He's not talking about the value of children there, but he does make a statement about the value of children. He does make one that we can easily glean that when God looked over the economy of man, he looked over all the earthly blessings, he foreknew, he, he planned in the most perfect way to send Jesus as a son. Because to us, that was the way we could see the, how much he loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. If there's any way to communicate the value of Jesus himself, it was to send him as a son. So we see that in God's economy of things, there is no greater earthly blessing than a child, and he wants to communicate that through Jesus as his son. But the point of John 3 is not the value of children. When Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, he doesn't say, the words of John 3.16, so that he would know how valuable kids are. He, would, he says it so that he would know how much God loves him. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That means that you and I naturally stand, stand as enemies before God. That because we are sinful, because we don't obey God, because we want to be the king of our own hearts and the king of our own lives, we are rebels against God. And that we naturally stand accused under his wrath. But Jesus, because of, but because of God's love for us and sending Christ, when Jesus died on the cross, when it says he gave his only son, he's talking about how Jesus gave his life to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that we no longer stand as enemies before God. In fact, we don't just not stand as his enemies, but we stand as his children. We stand in the place that Jesus deserved to stand. He became sin who knew no sin so that we might receive the righteousness of God, become the righteousness of God. He takes our place so that we can take his And that is the greatest gift. We recognize that is the most valuable thing in all of eternity, in all of the universe ever, is this gospel gift that Jesus has given us. And this whole discussion of Waypost has been the discussion of how do we take our most valuable earthly assets of our children and invest the most valuable spiritual asset of the gospel in them. And I choose the word invest intentionally. I don't say deposit. And I'll explain, I'll explain investing as far as I know, but remember I'm a biblical studies major, not a business major. So I'll explain it like a five-year-old would understand it because that's about my grasp on the subject. 
So if you have a dollar and you go put it in a piggy bank and then you leave and come back to that dollar in a year, you open the bottom of the piggy bank and you fish the dollar out, you will have one dollar. But let's say instead you take the dollar and you go to the dollar tree and now you've, you buy a bag of candy and it has eight suckers in it. And then you sell each of those suckers to your friends for 25 cents a piece. Now, you have $2. So you take those $2 and you go back to the store and you buy now two bags of candy. And you keep on investing, investing, and you keep on growing this dollar. And after a year, I should have done the math, you're going to have way more than a dollar. That's, that's investing. It's taking and not just wanting to see and something valuable protected, it's wanting to see something valuable, valuable grow and grow more valuable. So as we're talking about the, the value of our children being the most valuable worldly assets and the value, value of the gospel being the most valuable thing in the universe, the va most valuable gift God has given us, period, and investing them together to maximize God's glory. We're not simply saying we just want our kids to know about Jesus or to even confess that they believe in Jesus, but we want to see Jesus' glory multiplied in them. We want to see it grow and grow. And how do we do that? And, it, and where should we be investing our children to see that glory of the gospel and that great gift of our children grow exponentially? We should be investing them in the church. And the Bible makes that pretty clear. Like, if you want the world to know that Jesus was loved, or that we are loved by God, just as Jesus was loved by God, and that Jesus was sent from the Father, John 17 says, the way we display that to the world is by the way we love one another. Or, you go to John 21. And Peter's having a discussion with Jesus. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? He says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. And he repeats this three times. And this is the last book, or this is the last chapter of the book of John. And this is the, the note that, that John and that God wants to end that book on. That if you love me, feed my sheep. That there is a relationship between how we love the sheep, how we take care of the sheep, and how we love Jesus. So if you want to see the, the world know about Jesus, if you want your love for Jesus to grow, you'll be invested in the church. If you want to hold fast to this gift that we've been given. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not, that means don't let it slip through your hands, don't let it go. So if we want to hold on to this gift of the gospel we have, we do that through investing our kids, through investing not only our kids, but our lives as believers in the church. We invest this gospel gift in this community of believers. And together, we as believers need each other to do that. We're all this, as, as 1 Corinthians 12 describes, we're all part of this body where we're each individually members of it. We're each different body parts of it that combine to make a healthy functioning body. And while some might perceive the head or the foot to be more important, every little bit is what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 12. He says it's indispensable. So there... And talking about this, this 
relationship of, or this, this word interdependence, I want to, to make it clear what that means. It's, interdependence is when two things need each other. So our last waypost, as we've been talking about the series of waypost, that we are forward scouts in the wilderness of time, as Mark said in his first sermon, as we're blazing the path for the children and come behind us to follow Jesus, we want to make sure that their investment and of the gospel is being multiplied and that means they have to be interdependent members of the church where they need the church and the church needs them. That's how our investment of these two most valuable things grow and flourish. So, if you care about God's glory in your life as a believer or in your children's lives as they believe, you care about interdependence and investing them in this community. So turn with me to Matthew 25, 14 through 30, and we're going to talk about the principle of investment. So the book of Matthew, we're jumping in towards the end of it, um, but the book of Matthew was written by Matthew, one of the 12 apostles. He was a tax collector and a Jew who followed Jesus, and he was writing this book to a group of believers who were Jewish, and we know from reading the, the, this that this is, one of the, this is one of the more early books of the Bible, and we know that this book that was written to this early Jewish church would have been written to a group of people who started out in Jerusalem. That's where the Jewish church started. And then when Saul and many other Jews like him started going into houses and arresting people and beating people and even killing people because of their belief in Jesus, that the church began to scatter. And so there was many Jewish churches, but most of them, if not all of them, received... Uh, an intense persecution. So Matthew writing this book to the Jewish believers is writing to encourage them that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of their promises, of everything, because their own countrymen of these Jews are the ones saying, you need to stop believing in Jesus, that this is a lie, that we're going to persecute you if you continue to believe in Jesus. And he's saying, everything about Jesus is the fulfillment of everything they've been hoping for, everything you've been hoping for as a Jew for all of time. It's, it's fulfilled in Jesus this, this happened to fulfill is a very common phrase that you find in the book of Matthew to show that Jesus is fulfilling all of the promises of God. And he want, Matthew wanted these Jews to know that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you've been hoping for. And then we get to this story at the end of Matthew and he, he includes this parable that Jesus tells, this teaching story that Jesus tells so that they would know Jesus, the investment of this gospel, and the investment of giving your life to this Jesus and living your life for this Jesus is worth it, even though you're coming under intense persecution. Have you found Matthew 25 yet? We're going to be in verses 14 through 30. Let me read for us. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. One he gave... To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went and at once traded them and made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing this, the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. 
his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been made faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came more. Uh, Came, sorry, excuse me. And he who also had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I hid your talent in the ground here. Have what is yours. His master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers and at my coming I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away from him. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place where there is, will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is God's word. So I want to... I wanna, talk about the three different character types we see in this parable. There is the giver, the investors, and the worthless. The givers, the investors, and the worthless. So first we have the giver. The giver is God. It makes it, Jesus makes that pretty clear that the giver in this story is God. So when you read a parable or you read a story where someone is representing God, you should ask, what can we learn about God from that example. So we can learn about God from the example of the giver in this story that he gives good gifts. He set out before his journey and he gave out five and he gave out two and he gave out one talents. He sought to give out those gifts. Now we know, like we've already talked about, a couple of different gifts that God has given us. We get, we've talked about the most precious gift of the gospel and we've talked about the gift of our good thing in your life that God has given you. Your house, your job, your time, your talents your friends, your car. You could go down, on down the list. Any good thing in your life that's given to you is given to you by God. It's been in, he's, he's the giver of all good gifts. So God has given us these good gifts. We know he's a, he's a giver of good gifts. He gives a proportion to how we use them. We see that at the beginning of the parable that he gives them, he gives one five, one two, and one one, but he makes that decision based on how he knows these guys are going to use the gifts that are given him. And then we see each is rewarded in proportion to how they use them as well. To the two that invest them, he gives more. He says, you've been given little, now you'll be given much. And he invites them to enter into his joy. But the one who doesn't use what is given to him, the master takes that away from him and punishes that man with wrath. So he gives in proportion to how we use them. And he expects them He expects us to invest what we have been given for his glory, for his joy. That is an awesome privilege, isn't it? That God has given us so many things, that we have the opportunity to take these things, these good things that God has given us, and to see his glory expand. Isn't that an awesome thing that God has been so gracious of 
to us to give us these good gifts that we've talked about and to let us expand His glory by using them. But it's also a very weighty responsibility, isn't it? That God gives you your gifts so that you will use them. Let's talk about the investor now. This, these two guys, the, the guy who gets five and the guy who gets two, they're examples of how we should use the gifts that God has given us. So, anyone who knows anything about investing realizes there's a risk in what these, guys, these two guys do. They go and they take it to the market right away. Now, I, I'm a closet little house on the prairie fan. Um, I grew up watching it all the time. There's this episode I can think of where the Sunday school had collected a bunch of money for, to buy Reverend Alden a new Bible. And what, what Laura and Mary do with that money is they take it and they say, you know what, we could get him this even nicer Bible if we go and we, we invest this, this money. So they go to this, this uh, roadside salesman comes along and he, he totally rips them off. He gives them a bunch of snake oil. And they buy it, and then they try to sell it to people, and they're trying to extort people the way that this guy just extorted them, and they end up making no money, and it falls flat. So that, that small, funny picture of Little House on the Prairie shows that any time you choose to invest what you have, you could be wrong about the investment you make, and you can lose, you can suffer loss. Investment is kind of a, it's a, it's a risky thing by nature. In order to invest money, you have to want to see your 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 gifts, whatever you're investing, grow enough that you are willing to take the risk. And for each of these guys who did invest that money, there was a driving force strong enough for them to say, I am willing to go risk what the master has given me because I so greatly want to see what he has given me be multiplied. They were willing to take that risk. So why? What is this driving force behind them that would lead them to make the decision to risk the master's money and go invest it? They risk it because they want the joy of the master. That's what it says. So you think about the guy who has five talents. Now, if I was that guy, I might think, man, I'm a great investor. I just made five talents off my master's five. He would be so happy if I just give him eight, right? Because I still made more than that guy who invested two. I could just take two off the top and slide that into my pocket and get a little bit of mine and then I could, I could give him eight and he'll be happy with that. But the guy who has ten, he doesn't, that's not his response. He gives all the original five and all the new five, the entirety of the things he worked for, back to the master and says, Here, master, you gave me five, I gave you five more. And you could just hear in his voice how happy he is to give it back to the master. And the master says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And he says, Enter into the joy of your master. That the reward he was seeking was not the talents, it was the joy of the master. That was the driving force that made them so willing to go and risk the things and not keep safe these investments, these gifts that the master had given them, that they were so eager to see the joy of the master and to enter into that joy with him. The master gives them that, this commendation. He calls them good and faithful. And if the master represents God, and we hopefully are the investors, there will be a moment when you are called 
to an audience with your giver when you die, when you meet him, and he will take account of how you use the things he's given you. And if you've invested them for his glory, the source of all goodness, the source of all faithfulness will be gracious enough to say, well done, good and faithful servant. What a gift we have to partner in the God's glory that we would be able to receive that from God. That he would call us good and faithful. That's some pleasure of the master right there. That's living for that. That commendation, that good and faithful, that joy of the master. That is the driving force behind investing. That's our reward. That's, that's our sight. Then we get to the worthless. The one who does not use what God gives them. Why doesn't he use what God gave? Why doesn't he use what the giver gave him? This is what he says. In verse 24, he says, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. He knew why the, what the master wanted. He, the reason he didn't invest the coin, the reason he buried it is because he knew who the master was. He knew how much was demanded and he was afraid of who the master was. Instead of looking at him and looking at this as an opportunity to go and expand the master's joy and the master's glory given me. So he dug a hole and he planted that talent right in the ground and it was worthless. And the master recognizes that it's not only just cowardice that makes this this servant react the way he does. The master points out that he is wicked, that he sees and he knows what the master is requiring of him, and he disregards it. That's wickedness. And he is slothful. That there is part of this man who saw this money and said, it's too much intention to go do anything with it. I instead just want to, to keep it safe. So that at least the master will be happy that I give him what he gave me right back. The master says, you could have at least gone and put it in the bank. How hard would that have been to go make a deposit? So that it would have at least gained interest. But you did nothing. You did nothing with what I gave you. So, the worthless is, his gift is taken away from him. The worthless is then punished. He enters into the master's wrath. So, I want to conclude with three questions. Okay? First question I want us to answer in thinking about this message is, why did Jesus tell this parable to his disciples? Because in a less than a week from this time that Jesus shared this parable with his disciples, he would not only have died but he would have been risen again. That they would be understanding for the first time the miracle of what Jesus has done to overcome death, to overcome our sin. So as they understood this, as they received this most precious gift that we've already recognized is the most precious gift, they were being called to invest this most precious gift. 
how were they called to, how, how did they respond to that call? That they took that gift and they planted churches in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. As the gospel went out, these apostles did not settle just for making deposits. They didn't just, they weren't just investing through addition. They were investing through multiplication. What I mean is they were creating, they were planting these churches, which were these vehicles for these machines to continue pumping out this gospel glory. That as they left those churches, those disciples then, those new followers of Jesus, would continue to expand God's glory through their community there. That was how they invested what God has given them, through planting churches. They saw the value of the churches because they saw the value of the gospel. That was what they were investing in planting those churches. Second question. Why does Matthew include this story to the Jewish believers? And we've already answered that somewhat. That these Jewish believers were under a lot of heat. They were under a lot of persecution and from their own countrymen. And they were probably asking the question, is this worth it? And Matthew wanted to assure them that yes, you are risking. Yes, this is hard. But yes, it is worth it. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you have ever believed. Even as a Jewish person, every, every desired promise you wish to be fulfilled of that Messiah, he's the fulfillment of it all. And he is worth every bit of investment you can make in him. So hold fast. Continue to invest that gospel in your churches. Finally, the, the last question I want to answer is, why are we talking about investment when the last way post is interdependence? Because remember, we're talking about investing our most precious gift of the gospel and our most precious gift of our children. And we want to not only see that as a deposit, we want to see it grow. And so inter, leading them down the path to interdependence is to ensure that as we teach and lead our children, that that, that gift of the gospel is not only just going to stay with them, but they are going to see God's glory grow in their own life. So, in thinking about these wayposts and thinking about these, this investment we're making in our kids, I want, I want us to ask a few questions. Are we nurturing the young among us with an unconditional love of Jesus? Are we teaching them about our righteous God and our problem of sin? Are we telling them the gospel story from the scriptures? Are we exemplifying what it looks like to follow Christ as we ourselves follow Christ? Are we guiding them to not only stand, understand the content of the gospel, but that it is a real relationship with God? And are we producing the fruit of interdependent church members? Are our children growing to be devoted to the glory of God expanding in their own lives? You know, my wife and I have made a habit every night of singing to our children a prayer. Um, it's called a mother's prayer, but I sing it too because it's really good. It's by the Gettys. Um, and the last verse goes, um, Take his hand and go where he calls you to. In whatever comes, seek him with all of your heart. This is my prayer for you. Father, hear my ceaseless prayers. Lord, keep them in your care. And as I sing that, I imagine how where God might be holding his hand out and calling my children to. 
He may call my children to be, you know, to have a, a family down the road here in Warsaw and to be investing their lives and their family here, you know, just, just on the road. And we might be enjoying Thanksgivings together, you know. Where, where else might God call them? Charlotte might end up a missionary in Nepal, planting churches to the unreached, risking her life. Will might go to the ends of the earth to go share the gospel. And I have to ask myself, every time I sing that prayer, every time I'm entrusting my child's hand to his, is that what I want for my child? Is that, my, is that where I want to see my, my, children, my children's life invested? And I can wholeheartedly say that whatever that call is, for them to go live a life that's fully devoted to the glory of Jesus expanding, I can say, yes, Lord, please, take my valuable asset of my daughter or my son and expand your glory. Because farther, to see that gift of the gospel expanding in them, to see that they love Jesus wholeheartedly, without, without hazard, all committed, risking everything for His glory. Whatever that might be as a Christian in Warsaw or as a Christian across the world in an unreached people group or anywhere in between. I would, I would, that would bring me no greater joy as a father to see that my investment of the gospel and my investment of my child expand like that. But what horrifies me is the thought that my children would go and they would hear the gospel and that they would, have, they would grow up with the idea that life is about them and that they, that they have just been deposited this gift and that they would waste everything that's been given to them. Because as a parent, I would look at that and say, what does he do with the gifts that are wasted? He takes them. That I, I would, it would horrify me to imagine my children being wasted, not used for God's glory. So how are you dreaming and how are you encouraging and how are you investing your children right now? Are you investing them in the church in a place where you know God's glory will be multiplied or are you investing them in things that just give them their own pleasure and make life about them. I also want to talk to children in the room. We have 175 children in this church. Something like that. I don't know if that's the exact number. Jordan and I came up with a rough estimate one day. And so I decided I'd say 175. Sounds good. 175. What are we doing... What, what are these children out here, what, what are you, you children who are hearing this right now? You are not just a coin. You're just not a talent to be invested or buried. You are a person who is accountable to God, just as all of us are, all of us adults are. What are you doing with the money that's left on the table in your own life? As you dream about living for Jesus someday, how do you want God to take these talents and expand them? How do, where do you want to see the master's joy be, be expanded in your own life? Where are you dreaming about seeing his joy going out? If you want to see God's joy 
grow in your own life, you can, you can see, you, you, you will experience that as you are continually in relationship with God's people in the church. So, to you children among us, stay committed to his gospel vehicle of that church. And then I also want to address the older people in the room, those who recognize that most of their days are already behind them, that they've lived, that the gifts they have invested or the gifts they have wasted, that those things are set in stone, that there's, there's no way to go back and to change the way you've already used your time and your gifts. Let me remind you that there's, there's three different people in this parable. There's a guy with five, there's a guy with two, and there's a guy with one. And if you recognize that you've wasted, that you even know that you have many wayward that you have that you have wayward children, there's if you are here, if you're still drawing breath, if you're still hearing the gospel, if the Holy Spirit is still able to change hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, if the gospel is still true, you still have talents left on the table. You have, still have time. You're, it's not over for you. Go invest what you have left. Don't waste your life. And those of you who see that that gospel has come to fruit in your children, and that they are following Jesus, and you, your investments have already expanded, and now you see this new crop of grandchildren coming in. Praise God, you got more talents on the table. Go invest. I want to conclude in prayer. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that on this last day of this Waypost sermon series, that you would examine your body here at CCC, that you would examine all these believers here at CCC and every heart, even those who don't know you today, and that you would, that you would have us steward the gifts that you've given us. Lord, if the gospel is being heard by someone who does not believe you or does not love you, Lord, this morning, that they would recognize that, their gift, that this gift is being offered again and that it can, they can seize it and not waste it. Lord, would you transform lives through your gospel this morning? Would you equip us as your church through your Holy Spirit to see your gospel expanded and your glory expanded and your joy expanded here at CCC as we weekly take joy in what you've done and as we intentionally give our time and our efforts, our assets, our money, all of the things that we have to see this gospel glory multiplied. Pray these things in your name. Amen.